to you with the natural goodness of Viridian Nutrition, available at Browns. I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today I'm bringing you another show in the mini-series Men in Music. Today's guest has been part of the music scene as a DJ for well over a decade. With his trance, dance and house sets, Tanisha, a.k.a. Joven Grek, has played all over the world to live audiences of up to a quarter of a million people at one time, literally with only a few hours on the ground before flying off to a new destination. In more recent years, Joven has created a set of invite-only sets based in Malta as Chasing Sunsets, which not only reflect a new direction, but a new tone as well. Welcome, Joven! <laughs> Hi, Trudy. <laughs> How are you today? I'm, I'm good, I'm good. You know, now things are uh, picking up slowly and... Uh, you know, I'm feeling back alive. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear, hear that you're feeling back alive. We're going to talk about things picking up uh, in just a minute, but we're going to talk about you as a backstory as well. Because in 2013, I invited you and Cyprian, who was then the other half of Tanisha, to come on a radio show I had on one radio. Now, Cyprian wasn't confident enough in his radio English, and he sent you on your own. And this was way back, right in the beginning of me doing any broadcasting. And I've pretty much followed you ever since because I had a big heart for you on that day. Can you briefly explain your journey and what brought you to where you are today? I mean, I say briefly because, you know, <laughs> you're not a spring that. chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I started it. You know, my interest in music, I, I can't remember when it started. I basically grew up in, in a family who, you know, my uncle is the singer of Winter Modes and um, my other auntie's on TV and the, with the media and the music sort of thing. I just grew in, into loving music and all this sort of stuff. At 15, I started my DJ career as a, as a radio DJ. It was a small community radio in, in, in my hometown, in, in Cospicua. But how did that happen? Uh, I, just, I just walked into the radio station saying, like, hey, I, I, I want to do a radio show. Fair <laughs> enough, can't argue with that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a year after, the same thing happened with, the, with the, my clubbing DJ career. As I, I used to sit on the DJ stand watching the DJ, like, for hours and hours. And one day, probably I annoyed the DJ so much that he just said, I might as well teach this guy. <laughs> so he turned on me and he said, oh, you want to you wanna learn? And I said, of course, you know. And I, I started playing in early hours. And I spent six, six years in that club. Uh, eventually, I moved on to producing music as well. Then I met Cyprian. We taught each other what we knew. Things were getting better and better. I started sending... My music to record labels ended up in the hands of world's biggest DJs back then, and there you go, international. <laughs> well, you've skipped through a whole bunch of things, yes. so I'm going to break this down. But before we go any further, because you mentioned being a DJ, and you mentioned being on radio, but explain to me and anybody else who doesn't quite understand, as a DJ, what exactly do you do? Are you 
playing other people's music? Are you creating new tunes? Are you playing them as they are and mixing them? What do you, okay. Tanisha Joven, actually do? Well, DJing is a vast, vast word nowadays. It's like saying an athlete. An athlete can be someone who plays football, someone who plays billiards. An athlete is a sports athlete. And the DJ is sort of the same thing. It's that vast that, you know, you have a wedding DJ, you have a radio DJ, you have a DJ who plays in clubs. Well, my kind of DJing is, is particular. I'm also an artist. I create my own music. I do perform my own music, but I also mix in other other DJs or other artists' uh, music. Always, my, my intention is always to you know be as innovative as possible. I've, I've even played with uh, with your national orchestra, for example. It's, it's very different kind of DJing, of course, you know. But uh, the skills uh, one should have for my kind of DJing is is not just having a knowledge of or a library in your head of uh, music and music and music but also you need uh, the, the skills of of course mixing the music and uh, then you need crowd reading you need to know how to flow a set you need to know how to set a mood in a crowd there's a lots of these things that you know made me stand out and i only learned by by experience we well, see you've just hit nail the, the nail right on the head there because i was having a conversation recently about the difference between an interviewer and somebody who asks questions you have said in interviews that I've had with you before that the difference between somebody who plays music and a DJ is the way they read the crowd. And you might go to a set with a playlist and then play something completely differently. I mean, how does that work? What are you looking for? It's for example, uh, this, is, this happened uh, this weekend. Um, uh, I played in Holland and I've noticed the, the, the crowd was uh, over 30. So I know in my head, from that age group, would love. I, I know some certain tracks, some certain classics. Okay, this will work, this will work. On Sunday, I had, for the first time in Mont, I had more girls than guys. <laughs> so, I, I, okay, I know though that girls love, for example, vocal tracks. So I played more vocal tracks. You know this? Yes. <laughs> Why do they like more vocal tracks? Uh, I don't know, but... Uh, Girls seem to interact more to, to vocal music, so... When you say interact, they dance more. They dance more, they sing, they, they feel... You can see, you know, the, when, when you're playing, you can see who's feeling the music and not. And, and for example, when, when setting the mood, the skillful part of, of DJing is setting the mood, not playing the peak hour set. The peak hour set is easy. I mean, you go there, you play the best tracks, or you smash it, done. But when you're building the mood... And you, for example, okay, I, I need people on the dance floor. They're still at the bar. No one goes to the dance floor straight away. They're having a drink. So I see there's a, for example, there's, okay, let's get the girls down. I, I put something that uh, would make the girls sing and move. Then the guys will follow. And <laughs> these are things that you learn by experience. I was lucky enough to, during my first years of my DJing, the dance floor was actually a very, very hard dance floor to work. Because it wasn't going down. It was... You have to take a few steps to go on the dance floor. So you can't see the vibe. You have to be in it. So you have to work harder. <laughs> and with that, uh, I've learned a lot of things like this. But this is a skill that con has contributed to you being one of the top 100 DJs in the world, I assume. I can't really say that. When you get your status, you start playing... The, the festivals and the, you know, the big crowds is already there. You don't need to build up anything, really. 
And when you still, there's that challenge. I think the, the challenge is better than the success sometimes to teach you stuff because uh, you need to work hard for it. And the same with the dance floor. You've got an empty dance floor. You have to work hard for it to, to, to fill it. If it's filled already, you, all you need to do is go there and smash it. <laughs> and play the tunes for the girls. Um, <laughs> going back to the question that I pitched to you just a few minutes ago, and we're talking about whether you play music or other people's music or you create music. I happen to be cruising across SoundCloud okay. and you have literally hundreds of tracks yes, 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 on yes. SoundCloud dating back, I think, over 15 years. For sure. I think the first Tanisha track was released probably in 2004. Um, it was um, a competition that we've won. This small label put out a competition, a remix competition, and we won it. And it was released on this label. But after that, obviously... That inspired us because we want something and, you know, you want to do another one and another one. And that's all we've done. We produced track after track after track. Basically, we just spent hours and hours in studio, especially around 2012 when we were doing the, the album. Uh, we've just sat in the studio for eight, nine hours a day and we created and created lots of tracks. Eventually, that's what helped us build our international career you know other DJs were playing these tracks they were making us actually more popular by playing them and uh, it just that, worked that must have been a, a huge moment when somebody else is playing your track yes yes <laughs> especially you know when you get you know top 10 DJs playing your tracks tracks being played on BBC I remember the first uh, track we signed to to Armada and the Armin was playing this track all over the world and back then YouTube was still a huge thing Armin yeah, as in Armin van Buren. Armin van Buren. Yeah, he was, back then, in 2008, he, he was, you know, number one for the third time. You see him in Mexico playing our track, and people are just reacting to it and singing to it. And you start realizing, like, from our studio in Mars Escala, we created something that people in Mexico are, are singing to it and going crazy for it. So would you say that this is, was the highlight of your career? If you could have to pinpoint one moment in your career that was just the best, would you say that's it? Would you say that's hearing your music being played in Mexico? Uh, of course, this, this was important, but I, I, can't, I can't choose one moment which is more important than the other because every step you take in, in your career is important. When I was 15, my, my target was to play on the radio. And if that didn't happen, then I probably didn't make it to playing at the club. I played at the club and then, you know, I started being in, in, interesting in, in music production. I wanted to create a track. I created the track. Back then, it was putting it on Maltese radio. I, that was an important step till, you know, it inspired me again to make it international. Every step of the way is, is, is important and you can't try and take a shortcut because it's somewhere it's going to go wrong. I see these DJs, for example, that, you know, they make a big hit and all of a sudden they're in front of this huge crowd and they do not have the experience how to control it. Because, let's face it, DJing and producing, they are totally different skills. Totally. And uh, I, I'm, I was lucky to, you know, step after step. I, I've done it the hard way, the longer way, but I, I think... It is the right way, because I now, now I have experience. I've you know I've produced my music. I've got the experience playing to empty clubs, which is where you learn a lot. To be honest, how, well, what, 
hang on a second, what can you learn by playing? <laughs> yes. Are you seriously played to an empty yeah. club? Of course, of course. When, when, when I started playing in, in, in the clubs, you know, my first year, I, they used to give me the first hour and the last hour. You start first teaching yourself the basics of mix, mixing. Then you start, you know, learning the music. As you go, people are going in and you try your best to get them to, to the dance floor so, so they dance for you. But, you know, you can't play... You can't just, you know, play all the good tracks at 10 p.m. You need to leave those for later. So you need to do a good job with the not so good tracks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but this is part of your part of your learning, as you mentioned. So this is part of your journey. Yes. And you, what you were just saying there was that you, you, you seriously can't define one moment that was a, a total highlight. Not even standing in front of three hundred thousand in, no, in no, Vietnam. It's, I think the challenge, the challenge, I, I, the, actually. Someone told me once um, that the, the the challenge is better than the success, and it's true. It's true. When you're up there, you know, in front of three hundred thousand people, there's, of course, there's things to learn. You always learn. You know, there's always something to learn. That challenge, that what gives you the will, the will to continue. The challenge is, is so important. Let's pick up on something that you just said there, because you talked about experience and you talked about that journey through the industry. And in as part of my my research, it, there are massive artists who are quite a bit older than the youngsters in the clubs. Paul Oakenfold is fifty eight. Pete Tong is sixty one. Carl Cox is fifty nine. To me, that would seem that these people are pretty darn old to be in the industry. Now, I'm not insinuating for one second that you are in the same age bracket, no, no, but can no. you still see yourself doing this at that, that well, age? Firstly, I'm, I'm quite young. <laughs> I, I said you're not in that age bracket. But, I wasn't but hey, let's, let's mention someone even older. I think he's 77 or something. Georgia Moroder is still touring. He's, he's still touring. He's touring in a Zimmer frame. The last time I think I, I've seen him playing was in Australia, actually. Wow. So it's a far, you know. <laughs> but how is it these people can be still doing this at this age? When you live the, the music life, it becomes part of you. And I can't imagine myself doing anything else. Sometimes people ask me, like, what would you be doing if you weren't a DJ? And my answer is trying to be a DJ. <laughs> I would be trying. It's, it's all I know, you know. It becomes part of you. I can't wake up in the morning and not think, like... For example, I have a free day. Okay, so you think I'm not going to listen to music? No, <laughs> I can't. We're talking about Paul Oakenfold is 58, 58 yes. which is incredible. Uh, you look at uh, the Rolling Stones. You know, these guys are still strutting across the stage when they really shouldn't still be doing that in most people's minds. But that means that you still have a long, long career ahead of you. Well, yeah, I hope that I'm 77, I'm still playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is, I can't, I don't know, I don't have a target that I want to stop one day. I don't want to stop. I, I just love it. If I'm still around when you're 77 and you're playing one of your sets, I'm going to come and see you. <laughs> but not? you see, here's the contrast to that, because I googled uh, top 10 DJs of all time. Uh, and all of them were men. In fact, I then went on to search the top 100 DJs, uh, and they were mostly all men, top 1,000 DJs, mostly men. And men do tend to have a career longevity that women don't. 
Explain to me why there are not more women in the industry. Are they, do they just not get the sound or because they're just, you know, not around as they get older? I really do not know the reason why there is more men. But what I know is that uh, women in the recent years, they've been increasing in the, in the DJ world for the wrong and the good reasons. Of course, social media is helping women. Put a, a picture of a guy and you put a picture of a woman... Next, forget music. A woman, a, a, a nice-looking girl is going to get more followers than a nice-looking guy. That says an awful lot about men, I think. I know, I know, but if uh, a girl is mixing, and let's say her DJing is not that good, but she looks good, that's an advantage. And, you know, if a guy looks good and he's DJing, okay, that's an advantage, but not as much as an advantage that a girl has. That's my opinion. Because I've seen it happening many times that, you know, this nice girl is just DJing and doing nothing special, but hey, her image sells in a bit of a wrong way. But skillfully, I've seen girl DJs which are really good. I can mention a few like uh, Nicole Mudaberg and Deborah De Luca, who's doing really great. And everyone knows her in Malta, for example. She looks good and probably her image helped her. But at the end of the day, she turned out to be a good DJ as well. So does this mean that Howard is right in what he said last week on this show? He mentioned that women are starting to come into their own in the music industry. We were discussing whether or not women were past it when they were over the age of 20. And he mentioned that he said that he thought that the industry was changing and women will come into their own. Yes, yes, it is. It is. Um, again, I would mention that music is at the end of the day, a dirty industry, and it, 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 it can have the wrong selling points. Because I've seen DJing, for example, in China many times, a girl DJ which looks good, really good on stage, she's going she's gonna to keep the men there, but she's not actually DJing. She's just faking it. But because she looks good, she's there. So that's the wrong reason. But I can't see why guys cannot have the same skills as guys. And we're not talking about strength or something that, you know, guys are genetically more strong, they are stronger, you know, it's something that we're equally the same. I would love to see more women in the industry, but today we're talking about you, Me of too. course, <laughs> and, and, and what you're doing, and then that's far from that. But in relation to DJs being older, those older DJs, and you mentioned about the skills and the knowledge that they've had and that foundation that, ha that they have that's taken them through their, their careers. What are the, the skills that that brings? What, what's the, the foundation that's going to continue? The way I see it now, it's not the way I saw it 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, I wanted to just tour and tour and tour and tour and tour. You know, now I'm more, I'm wiser. I've experienced uh, the good things of it and the bad things of it. And now I want to, you know, do it even better by balancing things out. I want to do tour, pocket tours. Okay, I'll do three months touring, but then I need a break. But hang on a second, Joe, when you're saying that there's good things about touring and there's bad things about touring, you're one of the most successful DJs in Asia, particularly China. How can there be anything bad about that? Surely that success is phenomenal. Yes, and uh, this is not, not many people talk about this, but touring life is actually very, very hard. I know people out there, they see the glamour of it, they see, you know, the VIP treatment, 
the, the, the celebrity life, the, the nice cars coming to pick you at, from the hotel to the, to the club and all the people waiting at the airport. And, you know, everyone is enthusiastic. But what no one shows is um, the dark side of it is after all that, the next minute you're sitting all alone in an airport on a long flight somewhere. And, and, and this is a roller coaster of emotion. When, when this is something a doctor actually told me, it affects your mental health a lot when you're in the spotlight, then all of a sudden you're all, all alone, knowing no one traveling somewhere. <laughs> and then again, and then again, and then again. And this is why you, you hear about a lot of musicians like harm themselves and stuff like this. I can mention Avicii, you know, who wanted to like stop. He said, I want to stop. But they kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him because he's, he attracted people, his music attracted people. He was, you know, he had a big selling point. So a lot of people could make money by him playing. But at the end of the day, we're, we're all humans and uh, these emotions are not to be ignored. I, I've suffered a little bit of it and uh, it felt really bad, seriously. But you mentioned Avicii and of course that was a a tragic story yes. and uh, you know a lot of people grieved for Avicii's death uh, because he was so high profile and so brilliant at what he did. Now you're saying that you've had a glimpse of that and this is now why you have chosen to amend the, way, yes. the direction that your career is going in. So what does that mean? That means no more massive crowds in China or? Oh, no, no, not at all. I, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a quote here that Muhammad Ali used to say. So Muhammad Ali used to say, the man who views the world at 50 the same as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. And this, that is so, so true because when I was younger, I was, you know, in, in, in my early 20s, all I want to do is tour, tour, tour. And I didn't care about anything, guys. I just wanted to see my, my diary going bam, 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 here, 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 here. And that's all I did. Then you start realizing this is not easy. This is not easy to go to Taiwan and play and just have a shower, get back to the airport and go to Malaysia and play and have a shower without sleeping, go to the next country. It's hard. And, and then you start realizing that, you know, you're, you're not a, you're a human being. Well, you, you have been the most successful DJ in China. As you said yourself, you had... Yes, yes. In 2017, I was the most requested DJ in, in China. Uh, I played over... 30, 35 shows, and, and at, at, at that point I started realizing, seriously, going back and forth to China, to China every week, that's around 40 hours of flying. That's no joke, sitting on a, it's a full-time job, sitting on a plane. It, it takes a big toll on your, on your health, and, uh, you know, it's, you start getting moody, you start taking it on others, and, it, it, <laughs> you know, it, it can affect you really bad. So that was 2017, and then, of course, we had a successful and huge 2018, 2019. I know that you were very busy as well. You mentioned Tomorrowland and, and all of these incredible events that you were at. And then in 2020, the pandemic hit. Well, to be honest, I slowed down a, a bit before. And in a way, the pandemic came at the right time as well, because probably I would have slowed down for a year, and I, but this gave me more time. More time to think. That's the only good thing I can think about about the pandemic. But uh, yeah, that's when you know I created Chasing Sunsets to reach 
uh, other people with, with broadcasting without going to that country. And that was the reason why. Well, we'll talk about Chasing Sunsets in just a second because I, I myself have personally experienced this and I, I really want to just highlight that. But let's just go back to the pandemic for one second because the pandemic hit the music industry very, very, very hard. Bad. Very bad. It damaged, damaged the industry really bad in many, many ways. Not only, you know, because everything stopped. Um, music is all about, you know, bringing people together and we couldn't do that. And all the good people the industry has lost sound engineers doing something else nowadays you know there was a problem in england finding sound engineers clubs um going bankrupt big brands going bankrupt okay well let me ask you because i asked how keith this last week i first of all asked him are we going to get back to pre-pandemic is that actually going to happen the 2017 the 2018 and 19 and if so, how long do you think it's going to take? Because I'm going to compare your answer with what Howard said. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be a good two, three years because, you know, people in 18 months, they get used to doing other things. Like, for example, you know, if I'm used to going fishing now, which is something I like doing too, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I'm used to going on a Saturday fishing, I'm not going to go to the club. You know, I'm liking this. Hang now. on a second. <laughs> hang on a second. You can't compare fishing with going clubbing. Oh, no. Some people have been missing it, especially those who, like me, have lived in this industry and, uh, you know, it's part of them. You talked about you slowing down and then coming into Chasing Sunsets. Okay. I want to talk about something positive because I've been to, bo to two of your Chasing Sunset events and they were spectacular. Not just the Thank music, <laughs> but the setting for St. Angelo and then also outside... Um, Dina, absolutely brilliant. What What is the inspiration? What are these events? And why are these events? Okay, basically, Chasing Sunsets, it was uh, finding a way to, to reach my followers without having to go to that country, uh, using social media and broadcasting. I was thinking about this for a long time uh, because I wanted to slow down my touring. And this was the perfect way to reach my followers without doing the traveling. It worked perfectly well. I created this before the pandemic. Um, we, we've done the first one in Fort St. Angelo. You were there and uh, I gave it a test back then and it worked really, really well. And when the pandemic hit, we couldn't do events, but we continued doing the solo events. We've created the solo events even before the pandemic because I wanted to do places which couldn't host an event, like, for example, the, the, the tower in Comino. It's not easy to get people there. So I done a solo and it worked well. But then I thought, we can't do events, let's continue the solo events. And in 2020, uh, five solo events reached 9.8 million people from around the world. Whoa. 9.8 million people from five events. From Malta, that's how many people we've reached. That's over two million each event. Yes, yes. It's, it's ridiculously big. And we're looking... But, but, okay, sorry. Let me go back one. Who is watching this? What are they getting out of this? There's a big difference between, you know, me in a studio playing some music and me playing music at Fort Sant'Angelo. There's the scenery, you know, the, of course we, we want to do, we will create content to keep people in, in, interesting in it. And the idea was, okay, we can promote beautiful places in Malta indirectly through music. So we're using this, of course, to 
for me to reach my followers without going there. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's good that we're promoting the country. I'm really excited. When is this going to happen? Hopefully when, you know, all the restrictions <laughs> will end with this, with all this, we'll get back on doing the, the, the events. But for now, we're going to resume the, 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 the solo events soon, events probably next year. I myself, as I mentioned, have been able to attend two of these events and they're absolutely brilliant. We've got Chasing Sunsets coming up for Tanisha and Joven next year. What else is on the agenda? Will you be going back to traveling around? I know that you said that you're rethinking things, but there'll be, when we get back in two or three years' time, are you going to be 58, 77 and still <laughs> doing this for us? I, I, yeah, I can't see, I can't see myself stopping, that's, that's for sure. Um, this is this is part of me. I can't wake up in the morning and not think about music. It's it's just it comes just so natural. Like my targets now at the moment, I'm doing I'm doing various things to be honest. Um, of course, another uh, performance with the orchestra that's that's in the pipeline. A TV show that I've been working on it for years and years now, and it's finally in the editing um, process. We filmed all we had to film and we couldn't film some reenactments because of the pandemic again. Uh, there was one particular scene in the in, in this TV show where they reenacted my first time in a club. So we needed the crowd, which we, with the restrictions. Hang on, what's the story? <laughs> what what what's the what well, is this? The TV show is 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 gonna be a thirteen episode TV show. First it will start building my story with pictures, old pictures and reenactments. So, you know, we didn't have footage of me playing <laughs> the first time in a club, so we had to reenact it. And so they got a guy pretending to be 16-year-old me, learning how to DJ, and they had to reenact that. Um, the last five years of my touring, from the hotel to, to the club, to the, you know, back to the hotel, and the, the life on the road, but also life at home with my kids. So you, you, you'll see me in a Maserati in China, and the next minute you see me changing an epic. <laughs> Chauvin, this is amazing. When do we see this? Uh, hopefully, hopefully it will be done in a year's time. You know, it, it's a lot of footage because we've literally filmed everywhere. We want to, to create something, you know, to show what we've talked about, that this is not just glamour life, but yes, of course, there's adventure, there's the nice part of it, but there's also the hard side of it, you know? And so the changing nappies. And changing nappies is not the hard side. Come on. I, I, okay, it stinks, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's a matter of perception. Joven, please come back on the show. When that happens, I want to find yes. out much, much more about this TV show. In the meantime, I wish you all the very best of luck with Chasing Sunsets and, of course, everything else as these restrictions lift, as we start getting back to a normal life at some time soon. I wish you all the very, very best. Thank you for being Thank on you. The Interviewer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Brought to you with the natural goodness of Viridian Nutrition. Available at Browns.